Welcome to Our Missouri, a podcast about the people, places, culture, and history of the 114 counties and independent city of St. Louis that comprise the great state of Missouri. Each episode focuses on a topic related to the state, ranging from publications about Missouri's history to current projects undertaken by organizations to preserve and promote local institutions. The Our Missouri podcast is recorded at the Center for Missouri Studies in Columbia and is generously provided to you by the State Historical Society of Missouri. And now, here's your host, Sean Rost. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, or whatever hour you're turning in to listen to the Our Missouri podcast. My name is Sean Rost, and I'll be your guide to explore the memories, moments, and misfortunes from our Missouri. Today's episode continues our multi-part series on the Ozarks. Sure, you think you know about the Ozarks, the home of Branson, the Bald Numbers, and the Beverly Hillbillies, right? Well, in this series, we'll talk about the Ozarks, a region covering roughly half of Missouri as a cultural identity as well as a physical place. So, come along for a trip to the Ozarks. Our guest today is Dina Madison. She is the Chief of Interpretation, Planning, and Partnerships for the National Park Service at the Ozark National Scenic Riverways. Welcome to the Our Missouri Podcast, Dina. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Now, this season, uh, we opened up with kind of a focus on the Ozarks, uh, and I'd like to really start by talking about really the prehistory of the Ozark National Scenic Riverways. We know it kind of in the last 50 years as being um, this kind of National Park Service project and really park uh, to preserve these riverways. Um, but how did, you know, early settlers, indigenous people, you know, descendants and, and peoples, you know, living in the area, their ancestors, um, utilize these rivers since rivers are so important uh, really when we think of Missouri history? Yes, the rivers here have been um, attractive to many inhabitants over thousands of years. We have evidence of um, prehistoric tribal uh, presence uh, 10,000 years ago and even beyond, um, all the way up through the more uh, recent history of our early Native Americans and our European settlers. But this area of the Ozarks is attractive and has been attractive to all of those settlers um, for a variety of reasons. But some of the biggest are our natural um, springs here that produce so much water and feed the rivers in this area and provide an area where um, they could hunt and settle and, um, you know, exist on a subsistence lifestyle with little interaction with outside um, community centers or population. Now, we think about kind of we, as we get into the 20th century, there is an effort. So there's a larger conservation movement. Um, there is kind of the early establishment of national parks. But it's not really until the, the 1960s and into the 1970s that there is this push for the protection of these riverways uh, at kind of a federal level, but how did Missourians and people even, you could say, outside of the state uh, try to preserve and protect these rivers uh, and the waterways that encompass what is today the the scenic riverways? Well, it really came down to um, folks who recognized the value of not only the clear spring-fed, free-flowing riverways, um, but also the value of this um, large uh, area where we had these um, high volume springs, the karst topography, caves, and many other uh, resources in the area that were attractive for um, recreation and vacation um, and enjoying a lot of things that, that people couldn't enjoy in uh, some of the urban areas not that far away. Um, and one of the uh, key factors in trying to preserve the rivers and, and get them under federal protection 
was the move in uh, movement in the early half of the 20th century, where many riverways across the country were being dammed um, in order to provide power and electricity um, as as the rise of uh, electrifying the country came about. Um, the rivers had begun to be enjoyed quite heavily um, as a recreational destination for visitors from Kansas City and St. Louis and other areas as highways became um, more established and brought people into the heart of the Ozarks to visit places like the state parks that had been developed uh, along the current and Jacks Fork River. Um, people began to recognize the value of these areas. And as the plan to dam up the rivers and, and therefore put all of these resources far underwater um, in, uh, in a lake or a reservoir, um, th those plans weren't met with a lot of support from, uh, from our uh, local areas who were using the Ozarks as a way to escape from, you know, the everyday urban life and work um, to get back to nature and, and back to enjoying resources. Uh, so it really was um, an effort over a number of years from the 30s through the early 1960s with conservationists and congressmen, local residents, um, residents from those urban areas who joined together uh, and not without controversy because there were lots of different options uh, suggested for how to best preserve the rivers and keep them from being dammed. Um, but through all those efforts over a number of years, we were finally able to um, come to a compromise that established Ozark National Scenic Riverways in 1964. Yeah, and we have kind of oral histories in our collection here at the Historical Society that really tell the tale of, of how big of an issue it was to to create this this riverway system and certainly the controversy and kind of the back and forth, both pros and cons. Um, so when we think of uh, really the National Park Service, we often think of kind of these large national parks kind of in the western United States. We can think of Yellowstone. We can think of uh, Yosemite and places like that. Um, but what makes something like the Ozark National Scenic Riverways unique compared to its fellow parks? And we could even think of national monuments and national historic places. Well, one of the things that makes Ozark National Scenic Riverways um, extremely unique is that it is, in fact, the country's first federally protected river system. Um, the establishment of this park predated the Wild and Scenic Rivers Act of 1968, and it actually was considered a, a prototype um, for that act that would later save and protect a number of rivers and riverways throughout the country. So that really is one of the most unique um, aspects of the establishment of Ozark National Scenic Riverways is that pioneering effort to preserve um, some of these phenomenal river systems throughout the country. Uh, in addition, um, with that, uh, our establishment of these rivers and, and the park that protects them, um, Ozark Riverways protects over 300 caves, 400 springs, a number of cultural resources, and um, as part of our enabling legislation to protect and preserve for the future um, all of these various cultural and natural resources, we are tasked with interpreting them for um, our visitors. And that's a mandate in our parks enabling legislation that is somewhat different than many other national parks. Um, 
not a lot of folks realize that uh, interpretation um, from our perspective means to relate these resources and their importance to our visitors and to um, all the citizens of the United States so that we can all enjoy and understand what is unique and special here. Um, so for us to be um, working with that as part of our enabling legislation is kind of a, a unique um, marching order for us. Before we return to our conversation, here's Danielle Griego with some information about upcoming events. The 62nd Annual Missouri Conference on History, hosted by Lindenwood University and sponsored by the State Historical Society of Missouri, will be held March 11th through the 13th, 2020 at the Doubletree by Hilton Hotel in Chesterfield. The Missouri Conference on History is dedicated to bringing together teachers and students of history to share research results, exchange information on teaching and curriculum, and to promote the value of the discipline. You can help the Missouri Conference on History grow and share your message with over 150 people as an exhibitor, by becoming a sponsor, and by purchasing an advertisement in the program. For more information about the Missouri Conference on History, please visit shsmo.org mch. Start networking with other history professionals now on social media by using the hashtag MCH2020. National History Day in Missouri is looking for educators, historians, writers, filmmakers, museum staff, and community members to join them at this year's state contest to judge student projects. The state contest will be held on April 25, 2020 at the University of Missouri-Columbia. To thank you for your essential participation in National History Day, the State Historical Society of Missouri will provide a light breakfast and lunch plus a travel stipend of up to $50 for judges whose round-trip mileage exceeds 75 miles. National History Day in Missouri is a unique opportunity for middle and high school age students to explore the past in a creative, hands-on way by producing a documentary, exhibit, paper, performance, or website on a topic of their choosing. To learn more about National History Day in Missouri, including judge orientation and how to start a program at your own school, please visit shsmo.org nhdmo. During the month of December, the State Historical Society of Missouri has teamed up with Como Gives for an end-of-the-year campaign to support National History Day students. If you are interested in helping Missouri students shine, please visit the Como Gives website at comogives.com and search for the State Historical Society of Missouri. Now, when we think of, obviously, the riverways, we think of the, the rivers themselves, as you mentioned, the current and the Jacksford rivers. Um, but there are historic sites as well. What are some of these places that are within the, the riverway system that are, are kind of historically preserved? Oh, there are so many uh, unique cultural sites along the riverways, but um, a number of areas actually have structures that still exist and that we still actively protect. Probably the most recognized would be Alley Mill, which sits at the edge of Alley Spring outside of Eminence, Missouri. Um, that spring and mill are some of the heaviest visited areas in the park. And um, not only do we receive a lot of visitation there, but we were also recognized in 2017 by having Alley Mill featured on one of the America the Beautiful Quarters. Um, so that's an area that, um, that we are you know, proud to actively preserve and also be able to invite our visitors inside to learn some of the history and culture at that site. Um, in addition to Alley, um, we have places like the Big Spring Lodge and Cabins, which is um, an incredible collection of uh, facilities and structures um, from the Civilian Conservation Corps and Works Progress Administration uh, time periods of, in the 1930s and 40s when um, those work programs 
had camps established in the state parks and built a number of structures, not just at Big Spring, but also at Alley Spring, Round Spring, and other areas. Um, but currently, the Big Spring Lodge and cabins are closed pending a major restoration project. And um, those are, are a, an, end, an end result that we are um, anticipating with much excitement. Um, project work should begin um, within the next year to actually begin that restoration project so that these buildings that are um, 80 plus years old um, can get um, the revitalization and the stabilization they need to continue to be enjoyed for many, many years. Um, those are Valley Mill and Big Spring Lodging Cabins are two of our larger and most recognizable historic sites, but we have a number of other smaller areas that people might not even realize are protected as part of Ozark National Scenic Rivers. Um, places like uh, several uh, old historic cabins along the river, like the Susie Nichols Cabin in the Upper Current, or the Howell Maggard Cabin near Acres Ferry. Um, Klepsig Mill is a smaller mill than Alley Mill, but it is very representative of the types of of small community-based mills that would have operated throughout the area. Um, we've got a couple of historic houses, like the uh, Chilton House near Al's Bend, um, the Lesh House in the same area, uh, as well as some schools, like the Button Rock School, Acres uh, School, the um, Stories Creek School located at Alley Mill. Um, so a number of historic structures that we do um, try to continue to do some regular maintenance and preservation on uh, that visitors can come and enjoy and, and learn about some of the um, history of the past. Could you tell us a little bit about the history of Alley Mill? I'm, I'm kind of interested and intrigued by, by, uh, by that story. Alley Mill um, is, is a large mill uh, located at Alley Spring, and it was constructed, the current mill that sits at that site was constructed in about 1894. Now, prior to uh, that mill, there had been some smaller mills at that site uh, starting as early as the late 1860s, I believe. Um, but the current mill structure was completed in 1894 and 1895. And when it had been constructed, the, um, the owners at the time had actually anticipated that um, development of railroad lines was going to bring a railroad line into right into the alley community area and therefore would provide them with an opportunity for a more commercial mill. That's why Alley Mill is not really typical of some of the community, small community-based grist mills that would be um, common around the area. It had um, a much larger structure. It had much more advanced milling equipment in the fact that it uses um, it used steel rollers um, inside of its machines and had a number of um, levels, floors, where there was different milling, sifting, and um, bolting equipment to eventually um, grind and separate the wheat into uh, fancy flour or white flour versus just a, a stone ground um, whole wheat, which is what most of the typical grist mills would produce. Um, so when that mill was constructed uh, with the hope that it would be more of a commercial venture. Um, they put a lot of effort and money into making it uh, with the latest technology of the time. Now that 
didn't end up working out for the owners because the uh, railroad line didn't come all the way into Alley in a way to bring um, grain from outer areas. It ended up really just serving that local community, and they soon added equipment for milling and processing corn, which was actually a more commonly grown um, grain source here in the area. Um, the mill regularly changed ownership every few years. It um, changed ownership, and then in the 1920s, it was um, taken over by the Missouri State Parks as part of the Alley Springs State Park. Fascinating, and I think it's really interesting to know what all exists within this kind of large, uh, encompassing area of the of the riverways. How many counties uh, are featured in the riverways? There are four counties. The the land base of land and river base of Ozark National Scenic Riverways um, actually crosses four counties in this area. Now, obviously, when we look outside, the leaves are off the tree. It's it's not terribly cold yet, but it has been snowing from time to time. Uh, winter mm-hmm. is setting in, um, and when we think of the riverways, we often think of kind of that summer kind of canoeing and and kind of enjoying the outdoors, but that doesn't mean that people can't go to the riverways in wintertime. What could people do uh, to visit the area during the winter months? You know, winter is actually, it's uh, overlooked by many as a time to enjoy the rivers and the land around the rivers, but it is honestly one of my favorite times here because you can, uh, you can get out and you can enjoy um, with the, you know, leaves off the trees. You can really enjoy the beauty um, the scenery, there's the opportunity to see eagles along the river. There's still a lot of um, recreational opportunity as well. Um, we have paddlers that float year-round. If you're equipped with the right equipment, you can enjoy paddling just almost any day of the year. Um, a lot of fe- people get out onto the rivers um, in uh, motorized boats, either with um, the digging season that runs from September through January. Um, and is a popular activity here along the riverways. Fishing is still very popular in the winter. And then things that you can do around the river, still enjoy a view of the water, um, like hiking or horseback riding. Those activities are really much more enjoyable um, in the shoulder seasons of the late fall and early spring and throughout the winter when you deal with, uh, you know, a lot fewer outside pests and you have an opportunity to have a better view of Um, some of the um, rivers from different bluffs or overlook areas that you might not have an opportunity to enjoy um, with full vegetation in the summer. Now, of course, when the weather does kind of increase and and it becomes warmer outside, obviously the visitors to the riverways uh, increase as well. Um, So what are some things that are coming up, we could say, in the spring or the summer that people could look forward to uh, in visiting the riverways? Well, obviously, the number one draw for visitors who come um, in the summer and in the late spring and early fall are getting on the water. They want to come to the river. They want to be able to actually get their feet in the water, enjoy some sort of activity, whether it be, you know, swimming at a, a swimming hole or a gravel bar or floating or, or, you know, the motorized boats again. But we have so many visitors who come and camp. Um, not only within the park, but in the communities surrounding the park, and then spend part of their time here um, kayaking, canoeing, floating, or rafting, and enjoying um, different stretches of the river. You can um, actually float or 
um, spend time on the river several days and see different things every single day by the time you've, you know, chosen to travel different sections of our 134 miles of riverways. Interesting. And finally, as someone who is obviously at the riverways on a regular basis, someone who's familiar with the area, what is part of that park system that you would recommend to visitors? Maybe something a little bit, you know, off the beaten path, something maybe not a po- as popular of a location that people would think about. Well, I have a couple I would recommend. First, I would say that you'll find something, honestly, something hidden and unique at, along nearly every mile of the river. If you uh, get out and do a little bit of exploring, there are neat um, cultural sites. There are incredible natural sites and resources nearby that you can see in all areas. But for me personally, um, there are a couple of areas that I think visitors aren't readily aware of that if, if you get a, a few minutes, I think are well worth the trip and well, well worth even the rough roads to get there. Um, Kleptig Mill, which is located near Rocky Falls to the east of Eminence, Missouri, is one of my personal favorites. It is um, incredibly picturesque setting right on the edge of Rocky Creek. Um, you get to envision what a small local mill uh, with a, you know, family community would have been like um, in those beautiful rhyolite boulders and rocks um, that frame the the creek as it passes through are just really something to sit and enjoy. Um, secondly, I'd recommend a place like Welch Hospital. There's some unique history there. Those are the ruins of an old hospital that was once going to be a place for folks with respiratory illnesses, and that is on the Upper Current River, north of Acres. Um, You can actually park nearby and hike a short path, about a third of a mile, down to the edge of of one of our phenomenal large springs, Welch Spring, um, and see those hospital ruins and learn a little bit about that. But it is just a an incredible setting right there on the edge of the Current River, and it's a really popular attraction if you're floating. In the summer, you come across it, but if you're not going to float that section of the river, you might not even realize that we have something like that that you could easily drive to uh, and take a short walk and enjoy. Well, thank you very much for joining us today. I really enjoyed our conversation. You're welcome. I certainly appreciate the chance to share just a little bit of what we have to offer here. If you're interested in more of the people, places, culture, and history around our Missouri, please check out the State Historical Society of Missouri's website at shsmo.org. Thank you for listening to the R Missouri podcast. If you would like to learn more about the podcast, including past and future episodes, information about guests and upcoming events, please visit our website at shsmo.org forward slash our dash Missouri.